You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Our preacher is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller with today's Word of Hope. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now for three weeks we've heard of Jesus duking it out against the kingdom of darkness, against the devil and his horde of demons. First Jesus, this was the first Sunday of Lent, three weeks ago, Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days with no food and no drink, with only the devil and his demons as his companion, where he endured every temptation that was ever brought to bear on on any person in humanity. And then last week, Jesus removed the demon from the Canaanite woman's daughter. The gift was the crumb that fell from the master's table. Now this week, Jesus is again casting out a demon. And the Pharisees who were there to witness it give Jesus trouble. And Jesus, in the midst of all of this, tells a beautiful parable and then tells us what we need to do to join in this struggle against the, against the devil. The text is Luke chapter 11, verses 14 to 28, which we'll take a look at. Verse, verse 14. Now Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. We consider first how strange it is that Jesus is almost constantly dealing with the demons and how little we are. It seems like Jesus is always have a, has a demon bring, breathing down his neck, and it seems like we would be, at least I would be, hard-pressed to name the last time that I was dealing directly with a demon. And there's two things between this incongruity. The first is this. We realize that when Jesus is dealing with the demons, His ministry, that this is a unique time in the history of the earth. That the demons are drawn to Jesus like a June bug is drawn to the light on the front porch. (laughs) So they're swarming around Him. The devil and his demons recognize that Jesus is a threat to their kingdom, and so his whole kingdom is agitated or is is, uh, is stirred up. There's demons in the Old Testament. We heard it, in fact, from the reading from Deuteronomy 32 about how the worship of the false gods is really sacrificing to demons. And there's there's demons in the New Testament after, uh, after Jesus... Uh, is ascended into heaven. We remember, for example, the, the two young girls who were possessed with demons, and Peter clears the demon out of one and Paul out of the other, and, and it caused a fuss because they were making money for their masters as fortune tellers. But compared to the Old Testament and the New Testament after Jesus ascends into heaven, the, the ministry of Jesus, the Gospels, are, are full of demons, full of demonic activity. That's the first thing. But the second thing about this incongruity is that while the time of Jesus has more demons than the rest of human history, more demonic activity than the rest of human history, I think that we have been infected by the thinking of our day, at least the thinking of days past. That most of the time we don't, in our thinking, have the categories of angels and demons. Now, I think this could be changing. It seems like more and more there's talk of ghosts and and spirits and uh connecting with the other side, and this is becoming more of a popular idea in our culture. But generally, we are materialistic. 
And that doesn't mean, I mean, just that we want more stuff, although we do, and it does mean that, but it means more precisely that we think of things in material terms and not in spiritual terms, that, that what we see and what we can measure is the full account of reality. And the devil is fine with that. The devil is very content if we're never able to recognize his handiwork, his voice, his temptations, his sneaking around and stealing away God's word and troubling God's people. But we have to be clear on this as the first point. The devil is real and his demons are real and the devil is active. Like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour, says St. Peter. Seeking the Lord's Christians, that is, seeking you. He is fighting against you. And if we don't recognize that we are in a fight, then he has a distinct advantage. I think, and I've been thinking about this this last week. You guys can tell me if, if this is helpful or if it rings true or not. But I think that there's things that the Bible assumes about our Christian lives that we don't assume about our Christian life. <laughs> the Bible, for example... And we were ta- we've been talking about this in our midweek services. The Bible assumes that our Christian life will be full of trouble. It'll be full of persecution. In fact, the Bible teaches us, the Bible it assumes, basically, that the Christian expects to die the death of a martyr. And if we don't, it's because the Lord has given us a special blessing. In other words, the Bible assumes that we die for the faith. And we don't assume that. A second thing that the Bible assumes is that the Christians will be pouring out their lives in good works to their neighbor. And that we would find joy and peace and delight in serving our neighbor, even if it hurts us, even if it means sacrifice. The Bible expects the Christian life to be that way, and we don't. And third, at least the third thing that I'm thinking of, the Bible assumes that our life is a battle against the devil and his demons. And we don't. So this text reminds us. When we ask, why were there so many demons around Jesus and not so many demons around us now, we should pause and think about that for a little bit and realize that they're the same number of demons then that there are now. And that the problem is our own perception. Now, while we're thinking about this, the other thing to note about this text so far, this first voice, is that this boy who, or this man who had a demon was mute. He couldn't speak. And this is because the devil hates the word. The devil hates any words, really, but especially he hates words of truth and he hates words of the gospel. Jesus, when he is working on us, is working on us through his external word, the word from the outside, the gospel preached, the scriptures heard. But the devil is the master of the internal word, the impulse, the wrongly directed desire, the doubt and the fear and the lust and the anger that rolls around in your conscience and rolls around in your heart. That's the devil's terrain, and we should know that. The battle that we fight against the devil is a battle in the conscience. But the Lord fights back in your ear (laughs) by pouring his word there. So Jesus fights the devils. But now the Pharisees who hate Jesus because they love their works, 
start to fuss at Jesus for casting this demon away. This is verse 15. Some of them said, He, Jesus, casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. They claim that Jesus had the authority to cast out these little demons because he himself was possessed and ruled by a greater demon, by Beelzebul, Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies, the chief of the demons. But Jesus responds to this blasphemy really in, in three ways, noting, first of all, that what they said doesn't make sense. Verse 17, he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. A divided household falls. If Satan is divided against himself, how will this kingdom stand? This will come back. This theme will come back later in the text. Then Jesus uses the example of their own exorcists as an example against them. For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But, verse 20, if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And this indeed is what happened. And what is happening? The kingdom of God has come. So Jesus tells at last this beautiful parable, which is the point of it all, beginning with verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now we need to spend some time here to make sure we understand this. This parable. The strong man who's there guarding his own palace, that strong man is the devil. And Jesus says that he's fully armed. The armor of the devil is the fear of death by which he uses to coerce and tempt man. His palace is the entire world and the goods of his palace are the unbeliever. When the text says about those unbelievers that they are safe, it literally says that they are at peace. And this means, and this is stunning, that the world and the flesh are on the same side as the devil. That the unbeliever is not troubled by the devil. In fact, the devil has nothing against the unbeliever and the unbeliever has nothing against the devil. When the devil is ruling over a man in his unbelief and in his lack of faith, there is no conflict at all. There is a great peace. We need to know this for certain. That our sinful flesh is at peace with the devil. Your sinful flesh loves the devil. Conflict comes with Jesus. It says that in the text, the stronger one comes, and that stronger one is Jesus, who overcomes the devil by his death and resurrection and strips the devil of his armor, that is, the fear of death, and the spoils which are divided, that is you and me, the Christian church who abide in the kingdom of light and of God's Son. So the text is a story about Jesus overcoming the devil. The parable, this beautiful parable, is about how you are the spoils, the loot of Jesus plundering the devil's castle. 
But there is more. The text doesn't end there, which is pretty important. Because if it ended there, it would simply be all smiles and joy for us. But the devil is not content at being plundered in this way. He doesn't sit back and say, Okay, Jesus, you can have what I treasured. You can hold on to what I love. The devil is always scraping and clawing to get you back. So Jesus continues with these somewhat difficult, maybe haunting, certainly true words, verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of the man, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I'll return from the house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. This, in in all of the scriptures, is perhaps the most detailed description that we get of the way it is with the demons. First, the demons seem to be discontent unless they have a house that is a person to live in. Second, the demons travel around, which is helpful for us to know. They are not everywhere. They are in a place. And they can move from one place to another. They, They are not everywhere. They are somewhere. Third... The demons cooperate with each other. A kingdom divided itself against itself will fall, but the devil's kingdom is united, and it's united against you and the kingdom of Jesus. For these demons to have seven roommates move in is better. The more, the merrier. And fourth, this is the point. If we are empty, we are prepared for the demons. It is not enough that Jesus would send the demons away. The Holy Spirit must come in and take up residence so that when the demons return, they find the house that is our hearts, our conscience, occupied, that there is no vacancy. Be filled with the Spirit, says St. Paul, so that there are no, so that there is no room for the devil. And how, perhaps most importantly, the most important question that we asked this morning, How does this happen? How are we filled with the Spirit so there's no place in our own hearts for the devil? How is it that we protect ourselves so that even though Jesus would send away the demons, that they wouldn't come back and find the place all remodeled, redecorated, and ready for a party? The last words of the text teach us this. Verse 27. As Jesus said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he, Jesus, said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and treasure it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and hold fast to it, who love it and trust it and keep it. This is a house occupied then, a heart that hears and treasures the Lord's word. This is what keeps the devil back. Remember, we heard Jesus doing this in the wilderness, a treasuring of the Lord's word. This is a heart that is alive, that is protected from the demons, a heart that's shielded by faith, guarded with the sword of the Spirit, protected by the Lord's righteousness, a heart that keeps the Lord's word. So we're in a fight against the devil, 
and we know it, and we know how to win it. We know how to stay out of the devil's kingdom and to stay in the Lord's kingdom. And it is by the work of Jesus. It is by hearing his word and by treasuring this. It's by hearing his voice and trusting his promises. And so at the end of all of this, there is a blessing from Jesus. From Jesus to you. The same blessing that he gives to this woman and to this crowd. Blessed are you, says Jesus. Because you hear his word. Blessed are you, says Jesus. Because you have his word. Blessed are you. Because you believe his promise. And you have his forgiveness. For the victory of Jesus over the devil, which he won in his death and his resurrection, that victory is given to you in the certainty of the forgiveness of your sins. And this, dear saints, is our comfort. And this is our joy. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.